and welcome to another episode of the Rethinking H2O podcast, where every week we explore different stories around water that include safe water projects, trends in the water space, and blue mind. We hope you enjoy listening, and now here's your host, Kevin Sofen. Welcome back, Responsible World. Really fascinating conversation about the organization Water for South Sudan. We're going to hear from President Bob Shea and Executive Director Lynn Malloy about what is Water for South Sudan. We'll dive into the story about the founder, Salva Dutt, on where he's from in South Sudan and ultimately how he made it to the United States to no other Rochester, New York. South Sudan to Rochester, New York. Same, same, but completely different. We're going to hear about the different water solutions that they implement from different wells to hygiene and education systems. They have two books that have been written, A Long Walk for Water and Just Add Water, and then ultimately how people can get involved to doing different fundraisers or putting their own time in and contributing funds and getting involved with this amazing organization, Water for South Sudan. We hope you enjoy listening and take care. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Rethinking H2O podcast. Really excited today to sit down with the president and executive director of Water for South Sudan, Bob Shea, the president, and Lynn Malloy, the executive director. Bob and Lynn, welcome to the podcast today. How are you doing? Great. Uh, Good. Right on. So, Bob, to start, give us a little context on yourself and how you ultimately got involved becoming president of this water charity. Wow. Well, (laughs) About 10 years ago, my former business partner, who had been hired by the organization back then to do a documentary on the work in South Sudan, what's now South Sudan. At that time, it was Southern Sudan, a autonomous region, the result of the civil war that had gone on for decades, really, at various times that had come to an end. And so he was going back. He asked me uh, if I would go with him, thought it would be good. I had met Salva. So I went. We spent a month, almost a month, traversing the length of the uh, country, documenting some of the work of the organization. And that's how I connected. Fantastic. And Lynn? Well, I had the great pleasure to work with Bob and his former business partner many, many years ago. And when I was looking to re-enter the workforce, Water for Sudan was looking for their first U.S. employee. It was an office administrator position, uh, 12 to 15 hours a week. I still had a young child at home, so it was a perfect fit. And I grew with the organization and then about, I guess, about three and a half years ago became executive director. So it was a it was a gift from above, I think, in many ways. That's fantastic. So to give us more context on why we're even here talking today, Water for South Sudan, give me some context on what is the organization do and, and how did it start in the first place? Ah. Well, let me take the start part and then turn it over to Lynn to talk about the current state, if you will, of what the organization does. Salvadut, the founder, came here to Rochester, New York, as a refugee. If you can imagine coming from a country where the the temperature typically is around 90 degrees in the cool season and can hit 120, 100 plus the rest of the year, arriving in Rochester, New York in February, never seen snow, never didn't speak English, etc. Over the years, thanks to a group of friends, people who became friends and supporters, Salva uh, learned English, went on to school and work, 
And these same group of friends, which had grown somewhat, learned that Salva had heard and reconnected with his family, with his father in particular, who was ill from waterborne disease in the native village that Salva was from in Tonj. And so Salva had the idea. He went to, he visited his father. He came back and said, it's bad water, drill a well. And so he raised the funds with the help of his friends, went back, hired a contractor, drilled that well in the village. And then over time discovered that people would support the idea that more people like his father, like his people in South Sudan, needed water, need eggs to clean, safe water. And so began a journey over 15 years by an ever-increasing group, which now includes children and families and individuals and foundations, no government money at this point, that has uh, expanded well beyond one well. Lynn, take it from there. Yeah, thanks, Bob. So uh, as Bob said, we started drilling wells, and that was in 2005. We've now drilled over 350 wells. And then in 2014, we added hygiene education to what we do because if you have clean water, but your cans or your hands are dirty, it doesn't help very much. So that's become a part of what we do. And in 2017, we then started rehabbing some of our oldest wells because we discovered that while they were all still functioning and producing clean water, sometimes the cement platforms around them would erode. So because we believe in the sustainability of everything we do and want to stand behind everything we do, we launched another team that went back to our oldest wells to rehabilitate them. We've did some research, invested in better concrete and redesigned how we actually do the platforms. And then this past year, we fully moved into what's called the WASH sector, which stands for water, sanitation, hygiene. The sanitation piece is toilets, which is a huge, huge need. So we built a latrine project in a school that's a pilot for us, and we hope with its success to expand that. So serving people in every way in in the WASH sector is where we are now. Lynn, I would just add to that, that we, as I understand it, you know more because of your operational connections there, that we rehab these old wells. They may be ours or they may be built or or have been sunk by other people or organizations or contractors or whatever. The important thing that you pointed out is the fact that the platforms deteriorate over time. That's inevitable because of the environment, right? So... That's why we embarked on that. I just wanted to add that element. Yeah, and that points out there is a major uh, issue. Broken wells in Africa is a huge problem. Many, many people drill wells, but they don't always stay functional. So our aim is to not just drill wells, but to drill functional, sustainable wells. And we want to stand behind what we do by going back and and rehabbing those and and wells drilled by others. If we are traveling and a village flags us down and says their well's broken, if we can fix it, we do. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense. I mean, to build the, not only the well, but the platform and then build on top of that with the different wash programs. And so to kind of have this whole holistic approach to the community and, and since you've been doing this and and now been involved, what's been some of the response? I mean, I think a lot of times people look at South Sudan as, as this kind of uh, country in turmoil and it's like nothing's even going on there, but water for South Sudan is, is really doing these tangible water projects and building capacity. So what have you seen as far as some of the, the grassroots or even larger macro response from some of the work that you've done? Well, let, let uh, Lynn, why don't you 
in part. <laughs> yeah. So, well, the, so the country was um, founded in 2011. So it's really a, a very brand new uh, infant country. So while the country is trying to grow and develop, we are at the most basic grassroots level of helping people and villages develop. And I almost think of it as two, you know, forces from the top, they're working at that level, but we are at the bottom. So when a village gets a well, number one, everyone's healthier, you know, children are not getting diarrheal diseases and you know, most likely not dying. Uh, we free up women and children in particular, women and girls, to go to school, to have economic opportunities. So a village can become, number one, stable. They often, before there's a well, they often have to migrate during the dry season to find water. So a, a year-round village just leads to more development, leads to healthier people, uh, leads to greater educational outcomes. We're not going to turn things around in a year or a decade or even a generation, but we start to lay the seeds for greater education and greater developments across the country. And just like instability can just grow, I think we're well aware of that in the world. So can stability. So when we've made an area or an, an more stable because of fresh water, then it's a stability that can spread and create a framework for the country to begin to develop. Can I add to that by saying that part of the growth of the organization has been growth in our, first of all, we do the work directly. Lots of organizations doing good work. It's not a criticism of that. We'll raise funds, but then the funds will go into the country and contractors or people will do the, the drilling of wells or whatever work. Our development is also included in developing the people who work for us and with us, the majority of whom are South Sudanese. So not only are we, as an organization, providing, as Lynn described, some of these very, very basic things we take for granted in the so-called developed world, but we're letting the development of the people, the village people there, are seeing people like them doing the work and people like them leading and operating, as Lynn put it, at a grassroots level or bush level as we, as if you've been there would know. And, and that combination is what's helping us be a development agent, but the agency is with the people themselves. That's awesome. And yeah, I think the idea of doing the work by them for them allows it to be much more of a tangible and relatable project. It's not just a, Bob and Lynn from America pointing their fingers and telling them what they should do. But having that, I, I, it's like within the business too. I mean, you invest in your employees. I mean, then they're allowed to better serve the people you're trying to serve. So I think that idea of better serving your human capital and training them has a lot of longstanding positive ramifications. And in Lynn, to your point, I really love the notion of there's no doubt we've seen in this crazy turmoil world, instability can grow. And there's been a lot of terrible scenarios of that, but there's examples of how stability can grow where if you have this foundation of clean water, then you have that story of, Hey, maybe now you have kids not getting diarrhea. You don't have to spend four hours getting clean water. You can now start a business in some capacity. So has that been positively received in terms of looking at now, hey, now that people maybe aren't sick and have more time, now what what can, what does that mean as far as uh, the economic opportunity or just the, the overall well-being of life opportunity for people in South Sudan? 
Well, it's really simple things, Kevin, like if you have a little more water beyond your basic, basic needs, maybe a woman could have a garden at her house so she could grow more food for her family. And maybe she has some surplus and she could sell at the market. So that little kind of economic development. One story we got from a few years ago was a woman who made baskets. And I, you know, we see these beautiful baskets from Africa. You soak the reeds in water. So this woman, it would take her about a month to make a basket because she had so little water. And then once a well was drilled, she could do a basket in a week. So she's, you know, at least quadrupled her output. And then her daughter was able to go to school. She could afford the fees. So it's really basic, basic things. But we don't, you know, we don't tell people how they should develop. They figure it out themselves. We just, we just give them that first step. The water's there, but it's very far beneath the ground. So they need, we need our drilling equipment to get at it. And then once we give them water, people figure out what to do with it and take off in all kinds of ways. So, Kevin, there's an interesting parallel here between South Sudan, and I'm sure other countries, but South Sudan and this country, the United States, that if you look at the history of Europeans coming to the country, taking the country over, et cetera, and moving further and further west into parts of the country where surface water would be available, but who knows what was in it, where digging wells was literally digging, right? And a lot of this, even with the industrial age, a lot of this continued as late as into the 1920s and 30s here in parts of this country, the dust bowl that people may have heard about in school and, and, and learned where agricultural processes and lack of understanding of that, of those processes, natural processes and over grazing, all those kinds of things contributed to a situation that parallels the need for water, the need for basics, and where people had to boil water for day, for all the time, for everything. So, so it's easy for us to forget that in America's history, there's examples as there are in other countries, and that this is such a young country in so many ways, and, and having suffered as it did from civil war and from a lot of oppression from colonial power, they're, they're struggling, but they're getting there. Yeah, and in the end, we all want our dissimilar aspects of our life, I and mean, we want to be with our family. We want the foundation of having access to water, air, food, and a roof above our head, and in that pursuit of happiness. And I think looking at people in South Sudan and America, I mean, granted, we're a couple thousand miles away, but we're not that different. We just have different timelines of maybe how we were colonized or how we got our own freedom and then how we're developing into the modern world. And I think what I like and I've seen through some of the, your work is, is how can we, this isn't going to happen in a year, but how do we set the seeds of growth for not only the kids in South Sudan, but the kids in America? And I think looking at how to engage with education in America and how do we engage with kids here. And I know, Bob, you're a teacher at the Rochester Institute of Technology, but whether on the college level, high school level, or particularly middle school and elementary level, how is Water for South Sudan with the use of the books, which I'd like you to tell me about, and educational engagement kind of communicating some of these principles to get kids involved to show that they can make a difference throughout the world. Lynn, 
Yeah, it's this is one of my favorite parts of my job. So when I tell people what we do, people get it. There's people in Africa who don't have water and it's tragic and we help them and it's a great thing. But I've come to realize because of this book, A Long Walk to Water by Newbery Award winning author Linda Sue Park, which tells Salva's story as a lost boy and as, as Bob described how he came to the U.S. and then reconnected with his father. School kids around the world support us. So we have supporters in all from all 50 states and now 51 other countries. So it was just a few years ago we were visiting a school in Seattle with Salva and it really came to me that it's not a one-way ticket to the help that we give. The, we take in the funds here, we send them to South Sudan, they do the work, but it comes full circle back to these kids who raise funds and they see the fruits of their labors. They literally see the people in the village where a well was drilled because of their efforts. And these kids often at that age, middle school, say 12 years old, and they realize, look what we could do. Look what we can do at our age. What else can we do? And I really, I believe there will be some kids, you'll find some leaders 10, 20, 30 years from now. And they'll say, how did you get where you are? And they'll say, when I was 12, I read a book and my school raised money, and we drilled a well. I see the passion of these kids. I think kids get a bad rap these days. People think they're self-absorbed, and they don't care. These kids are so motivated. They're so passionate, and they they see no limits on what they can do. They see something wrong, and they want to fix it. So that's just been... It's it's a beautiful part of what we do. And we benefit here in the office. Kids send pictures to Salva. They write poems to him. They write letters. When they meet him, they often cry because he's a true hero. And that's the other thing. And we think kids' heroes today are all athletes or movie stars. But Salva is an absolute hero doing good in the world. And so that's, a, that's just a bonus piece of, of what we do, I think. And uh, I'll add this from the college perspective. <laughs> which is that my experience of, first of all, here at RIT, there are a lot of what are called international students. Students, I had one of the meetings I had with a student today who was born in India, but lives in Dubai. That's just one example. I have Chinese, Indian, Pakistani, so on. And the American students are from all over as well. And they're often most often talk about wanting to make a difference in the world in whatever their major area of study. Here, a lot of that is technical, engineering, all kinds of stuff. But that need, that meaning or a sense of meaning, that connecting to this organization means or has meant is evident from some of my students here as well. And that kind of, they're aware how could you not be in a digital age where, you know, social media platforms show you things from all over the world, some of which you might understand. Uh-huh. So it's, it's really a lot of development in a different sense than the development we're doing in South Sudan itself. Yeah. And I think in the, what I've seen, too, is that there's a lot of kids who see something wrong and they're not OK with the status quo and that, hey, that's fine or that's OK. That's the way it's just it is. But no, I mean, what I have been blown away by in the water space and that we're not talking about rocket science here. We're talking about pretty robust, tangible solutions. I mean, drilling wells and hygiene solutions. 
that's not rocket science. We just need finances and we need good people on the floor to make sure that we can interact with people and, and actually implement these programs and then the accountability in the two-way street of how it isn't just helping people in, in South Sudan, which it is that's a priority, but it is just as much helping the kids in America to have that global perspective. And I think that two-way street is something that Water for South Sudan does better than anyone. And I think that is, again, so kind of uh, crazy to me because before, and I don't want to sound ignorant when I say this, but I was in that like, when I heard South Sudan, I just thought of a country in turmoil, the youngest country in the world. And I didn't really have a whole lot of interest with it to really. And unfortunately, I think that maybe the perspective of others where a lot of times the media coverage is South Sudan is, is perceived in a, in a bad light. So, you know, I guess just sort of generally on your, your thoughts on South Sudan and, and I guess the organization of where it is now in 2019, early 2019, where do you see it going, the organization and the um, prospects of the country throughout the rest of 2019 and maybe the, the one year from now, five years from now, as far as, and then kind of what your, what your guys' role is within that development? Well, I'll take a piece of that to start, right, Lynn? I should. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> I'll be half of the board. No, no, no. Boy, that's a that's a really good question, Kevin. Nothing, of course, is certain, especially in the early stages of the development of a, a country, ours, any country. History will tell you that, and you can you can learn. And it's not static. So yes, there has been a lot of turmoil, and and continues to be in various parts. And some of that is the the result of decades, generations, the culture that's there has been there for a thousand years. This is maybe a new country from our perspective, but the people who live there are represent generations and generations and generations of people who've lived in that region, in that area. So this new structuring of how life is lived and development, all the things we've been talking about is going to take some time. Hopeful signs are there. Younger people are beginning to, like Salva, are beginning to be visible and, and come back and feel that they are South Sudanese, not just the member of a tribe that they're from. And that means future leaders there, as well as with help from leaders in the region and, well, forget for now, the West, then I think the prospects are good. Things will continue to be settled, negotiated, and the people will continue to develop thanks to younger people made possible to go to education, made possible to leave the country, come back, just like what's happened here in other countries. So I think it's, it'll be good. Our role, we're working to sustain the organization by having leadership there more and more develop and tell us what's needed. And we help them in the way that we started to. Yeah, thank you, Bob. And I was in South Sudan last year, and there's a UN holiday called World Water Day, which, Kevin, I hope you know about that, March 22nd. So we were actually in Juba, the capital of South Sudan, on World Water Day, and were invited to a celebration. And there was a group of university students who joined us, and they were 
so smart, intelligent, curious, engaged uh, for their country. It gave me so much hope. I mean, you, it, one problem sometimes is the pictures that come back from Africa or South Sudan is all the need. And this was, uh, you know, I leave pictures of these kids that uh, are studying computer science and agriculture and economics, and that's where they want to be. They want to be in their country. They want to help it develop. There are universities in South Sudan. So what pictures get shown often dictate the story, but there are other stories there. So there, there is progress. You can Google it. You know, often news from South Sudan is only the bad news, but we, we, we do see good news. There's trainings going on. There's uh, new programs coming in. So, and as Salva says, South Sudan, nothing needs to be invented for South Sudan. What the world already knows just needs to get to South Sudan. So they need infrastructure, um, all kinds of, you know, business, but we're, we see ourselves as a piece of that in, in helping those things come forward. As a small example, when we go into a village, we're often the first vehicles that maybe have come through there in years or decades. We might carve out a road for our vehicles, and then that becomes a real road because people want to get to the source of the water, and then we've kind of changed the traffic pattern there and a, a road comes up because it was needed to drill a well so again that's those first steps that we can start and then the people take it up from there i want to add one thing to that lynn i think one of the big lessons i've learned and am continuing to learn from my exposure to south sudan and since is the incredible role that having an understanding and a respect for different cultures different histories. I, I, I would bet that if you ask most Americans, you say, when they hear the term Africa, they think of a country instead of one of the largest continents in the world with many, many, many cultures, many, many, many countries. And South Sudan is part of that, but it's unique as well in some of its own needs. And Lynn put it really well that the, the whole sense of developing is got to be led by the South Sudanese. And that's our approach, which is we help them become more of who they are, not replicating who we are. Makes sense. And yeah, I agree 100%. And just to echo some of those points, I mean, Lynn, I love the idea of it's just taking those little baby steps to help build the foundation of success and how they can cascade into a positive domino effect throughout all aspects of the community. And, and to Bob, I, what I think is, is so significant too, is that I think when you talk to other people around the world, they'll, they maybe think just America is one country. It's all kind of one, one same thing, but Americans can realize that how different is it from Oregon to Florida, from Maine to California? I mean, just now put that perspective within Africa. I mean, there is so much local identity that's very different. And, and sometimes just a, a geographic line that was built after some peace agreement after a war isn't very indicative to how maybe these two cultures ultimately then relate to each other. I mean, I know Rwanda was a terrible example of how this led to some of the terrible genocide for a lot of reasons, but, you know, drawing lines on maps can sometimes have some unintended consequences. And, and I think that is, is really important to look at the importance of geography, the importance of grassroots cultural awareness, and then how that ultimately plays into of, how are we going about working together and how are we taking everything that exists to build off the foundation that exists and how can we take these pretty simple ideas and help you, help you, help us help you do what you need to live a happier, more fruitful life. Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah. You said it well, Kevin. Very well. Thank you. Yeah, and I know sometimes I can ramble like that, but uh, you guys have got me fired up here, and and I I love I really love the work you're doing, and I'm responsible was really happy to to contribute uh, an initial five hundred dollars to to get one of the hygiene programs going. So we're we're excited to continue to be in the loop on that, and I know that there are other charities that are interested in trying to collaborate. Particularly, I know H2O for Life is another charity I've started talking to that they're doing some great educational work and looking at doing some expansion work with with your team. But I know there's other charities and there's other individuals and corporations that would love to get involved with Water for South Sudan. So if they if they wanted to learn more or get involved, what's the best process to do that and to learn more and, and interact with Water for South Sudan? Lynn? Uh, just go on our website and contact us. You can find my email right on the website. We're a small office here in Rochester, New York. Um, a lot of people do fundraising for us, everybody from school kids to garden clubs, churches, faith-based organizations, and also spread the word. You know, the book that we've referenced, A Long Walk to Water, has taken our story and sell the story literally around the world. So that's a great way. It's and I would I, I think virtually every public library in the country because of the author Linda Sue Park. So I highly recommend get the book out, follow us on social media, look at the website, and uh, we can take it from there. We're always looking to develop more resources for people to engage with us, resources for teachers in the classroom, for people who want to do fundraising. So our website's on a continuous state of improvement there with uh, getting more resources for people. Improve every day. Yes. (laughs) That's good. And last, I know you you, you talked about the long walk for water. I read the book and it was amazing. It It seemed like it was tailored towards maybe sixth grade to ninth grade or so, but I also, there is a second book that's maybe a little bit easier to read, correct? Yeah. So that's a self-published book that uh, two of our former board member wrote called Just Add Water. And that's available on our website. It's, yeah, I'd say more like primary age kids. It's a story, honestly, with some of the harsher details taken out, but it's still a story of hope and perseverance. And there's some pictures in it too. So that's nice for younger kids. So on our uh, website, waterforsouthsudan.org. Awesome. I'd add to that too, Kevin, that there is a TED Talk that Salva himself delivers. Uh, Lynn, what's the, that's through, it's a TEDx talk. TEDx, it's also, it's on our website as well, but if you Google TEDx Salva Dute, it'll come up. Linda okay. Sue Park also did a TEDx talk, which was phenomenal. The two of them together are nice, nice bookends kind of, but Salva's talk is, quite honestly, the TEDx people really prepare you. He spent a year preparing that talk. I mean, it's a great example. So I think it's about 12 minutes long of Salva and our work and his journey. I highly recommend that. Awesome. Thanks, Pat. Yeah. Well, fantastic. Well, again, thank you so much for all the work that you and your entire organization do to help, particularly Wire for South Sudan, South Sudan, the country, but educating and empowering people around the world. I really appreciate it and look forward to more collaboration here moving forward in 2019. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, Kevin. Thanks, Thanks for the opportunity. Spotlight on water needs and issues as well. Yes. Great job, Kevin. Thank you. Whether it's personal bias or not, I can happily say that Water for South Sudan has quickly become one of my favorite charities that exist in the entire world. This conversation with Bob and Lynn really proved it. From some of the conversations that really stick with me is one of the lines that Lynn says that I'll always remember is, it's very apparent in the world today that instability can grow, 
but so can stability. And it doesn't take that much to be able to provide the capacity opportunity for people to live a prosperous life. And if you can just provide those little aspects of stability from a safe water well and proper hand washing and, and bucket washing skills, then there's so much stability that can come from that. Um, I like the idea of laying those seeds for the foundational success and looking at the other alternative economic opportunities that can come from that, from basket weaving to bread making, various things like that. I really appreciate how Water for South Sudan focuses on not, hey, the white man coming in telling you what to do, but this is an organization by South Sudanese for South Sudanese. And how can we make sure that they're properly trained and equipped to be able to handle the problems and the issues that happen from project management? And what I really like, and something that I'm just going to continue to try and emphasize throughout my life and throughout anyone I talk to, is that if you see something that's wrong, and you're not okay with it, then you should do something about it. And I know it was just Martin Luther King Day yesterday, but one of the biggest threats is silence and not doing anything. And we can't just sit back and be okay with the status quo. And I think a lot of people in the modern day world, they hear about South Sudan and they're like, oh man, I don't want to deal with that. Or that sounds like a country of instability. But really, it's been a, a country. It's, it's not like it just came out of thin air. I mean, it's been around for forever. And it's just a matter of trying to get past any negative stigma and that they want the same things that we want. Happiness, a pursuit of being with your family and to be loved. And, and we don't, we can't just necessarily look at geographic lines or headlines and all of a sudden throw this, the opportunity of South Sudan in the curb. So that's where, hey, how can we as individuals here in America do our part from being responsible citizens and doing things to help our environment here, but particularly getting involved with our youth, getting involved with your different organizations and finding ways to fundraise, finding ways to spread the message, finding ways to get involved. And if you visit uh, waterforsouthsudan.org, there's different opportunities that you can learn and get involved with. And I'm sure excited to expand on the hygiene program that Responsible gets funded, as well as some other fun opportunities we got moving forward in 2019. Really hoping you guys enjoyed it. Again, let me know if you got any comments or questions. Slide into the DMs. Hit me up. Want to hear what you think. Take care.